Hello, welcome to the Negative Positives Podcast, episode number 34. I'm your host, Mike Gutterman. Just got off work a little bit early tonight, so I'm going to throw you a little middle of the week podcast. Throw another one at you. Uh, while I was at work tonight, I listened to the Analog Talk podcast and was really happy Andre Dominguez, who has uh, called into this podcast several times, uh, has uh, was the uh, was the guest on that show uh, that was released, I guess, today. So if you listen to the Analog Talk podcast, check that out. And if you're not listening to that, you need to be. But it was really cool to hear him on uh, on going big time on us, big time on us. Uh, also, I got a uh, another uh, email from uh, uh, Danny Peters. Uh, he had listened to my podcast about uh, developing color film at home using the Unicolor kits uh, that from the film photography film photography project. It, uh, that's where I buy those kits anyway. Uh, so he sent me an email on his thoughts about it. I had said in that episode that I had planned on possibly getting about 20 rows of. Uh, film developed out of that one kit and that I'd heard quite a few people say at least 20 was possible some people were pushing it much further but Danny sent me an email that kind of elaborated he's got a little more experience of using uh, some of these kits than I have I'm still on my first kit of the Unicolor C41 home development kit anyhow Danny's email says hey Mike I also use the Unicolor kits and I've had great results developing way more than the suggested number of rolls. My first kit I did 15 rolls. My second kit I did 32 rolls. My third kit I did 55. The only reason I stopped using it was because when I developed a very old roll of Sfema 120 film that required some other process than C41, it left a bunch of weird spongy residue in my blicks. I also noted that one of the last rows I processed looked like it might not have been as colorful as it could have been, but then again I was shooting Lomography 400 and a Lubitel, so who knows. As for me, unless I get some negative results at some point, I'm doing 50 rows per kit. Wow, 50 rows per kit for a little, just a tiny bit over $20. Anyhow, thank you Danny for that email and for elaborating on... Uh, the C41 Unicolor kit. I mean, if we can get 50 rows out of that thing, that's crazy cheap. And there's no reason for us not to be developing our own home color film. I'm just, just saying, just saying. Uh, I'm, I'm really glad to send me that email because I was planning on after 20, just calling it a, calling it quits and figuring I got my money's worth out of it and and dumping it and buying a new kit. But I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna push my luck. See if I can go further in that. See if I can get the 50. Or maybe at least 30 or 40. At any rate, that is some cheap processing. Process, there I go with that word again. Processing of um, home, or of a C41 color film. Hard to beat that. In uh, this podcast too, I want to mention a little bit about Polaroid transfers. I was a big fan of it back with Polaroid Pack Film, you know, years ago when you could buy that. Of course, it's not around anymore, and the only Pack Film that's left that's not crazy expired is the Fuji Pack Film, which has also been discontinued. But I did buy 25 
packs of that Fuji pack film to do my last run of pack film, my last hurrah, uh, before I probably won't bother buying it anymore because the price will just be skyrocketed. But um, So, you know, I want to take my old Polaroid pack film camera out and shoot a lot of that stuff, but I also enjoyed image transfers with the old Polaroid stuff, so I'm going to probably reserve at least maybe five of those packs to attempt image transfers. Uh, I'll explain a little bit about that in the next segment, but uh, a lot of people, there was a lot of thought and claims that you could not do image transfers with the Fuji pack film. Um, but I've seen a lot of stuff online that seems like that may not be the case, and I've got some, uh, I'll tell you what I learned about that so far. So Polaroid transfers, if you've never seen them, surely you've seen them. You can Google Polaroid transfers, you'll see tons of images up there, but they're really, really cool. Uh, it kind of makes your photos almost look like a, like a painting. And uh, uh, if you'll check my Instagram feed, uh, Gutterman Photo on Instagram, I've got, I don't know, three or four of the, my transfer shots in my feed somewhere. But I actually had some real luck. Uh, my last art fair is selling some of those, uh, some bigger prints of those. Uh, those were done quite a few years ago with Polaroid film. I have not tried the Fuji pack film yet, but reading online, it's pretty much the same process. Uh, I transfer to uh, acid-free watercolor paper. Uh, what I've read online with the Fuji, they tell you to use code press watercolor paper. But definitely get acid-free because something with uh, paper with acid in it seems to slow the transfer down. But it's basically like taking uh, a Polaroid pack film shot. And as soon as you pull it out of the rollers, you have like 15 seconds to kind of separate it and get it pressed down onto this. You press the negative down onto the watercolor paper and then use a roller to roll that image onto the watercolor paper and so it transfers onto that. That's kind of the basic of the process. But one thing, step-by-step uh, step, sort of, you, you need to soak your watercolor paper for about a minute or so in like room temperature water. And then you take the watercolor paper out and kind of pat it dry so it's not crazy wet. Some people say with the Fuji you need to do dry paper, but I've read that water, uh, I mean, slightly damp paper is better, and it seems like it would transfer better. That's the way you did it with Polaroid anyway. Uh, but when you pull the Fuji film out of the rollers, uh, you need to do it in very dim light. The Polaroid film didn't seem to have that problem. Uh, you could do it in bright light. I did it in, you know, a normal room light lighting. But apparently with the Fuji film. You need to have very dim light. Some people even said just put like a night light at the end of the room, just just enough where you can see what you're doing. And when you pull the film out uh, and the developing starts, you kind of take some scissors and cut off the little chemical pod area. And then after about 12 to 15 seconds, you pull apart the film and you place that the negative down on the damp watercolor paper. Uh, now once you once you place it on that paper, don't move it because it'll smear. You want to, like, however you set it down there, just keep, don't try to adjust it, make it look, you know, straight or anything. And then use, like, a roller, uh, sometimes called a brayer in, like, hobby stores, and you just kind of roll that down on the, uh, on the image, on the negative on top of the uh, watercolor paper on a flat surface. Roll it down real hard for about a minute, but make sure when you're rolling you don't let that 
that negative move any because it'll, you know, smear. Uh, most people tell you to use like one of these Daylab slide copiers to do this so that you can find a slide that you've taken and then, you know, do it all right there. Because like if you're out taking a Polaroid shot on these pack film cameras, you will be able to just take one shot because you can't pull it out of the camera until you're ready to do this transfer process. Because as soon as you pull that film through any kind of rollers where it starts developing, you have 12 to 15 seconds to get this image transferred. I cheated. I didn't buy a Daylab processor and I don't like go out in the field and take a Polaroid pack film shot and then come home and wait to pull it out till then. I bought a Polaroid close-up lens attachment for my pack film camera. And sometimes I'll just make a big print of the image I'm wanting to do a transfer of and then I just photograph that print and then transfer that onto the uh, watercolor paper and the cool thing is you know the, the the watercolor paper will have like a you know a texture obviously to it and that you know comes through on your uh, transfer shot just really beautiful and it's unlike any other you know it, it almost doesn't look like a photograph anymore it definitely starts looking like a painting at that point now I will say, I have not tried this with the Fuji uh, pack film, but this is what I've read online and uh, watched YouTube videos on it, and it seems to be successful if you follow the steps that I've kind of highlighted there. But it's all that information's online, and uh, give it a shot. Uh, if you have some Fuji pack film that you're looking to do something different with before they, you can't get it anymore, it's your last chance. So what I do with my transfers, or what I or what I did, because it's been quite a few years since I did it, but I will be doing again once I try it with this Fuji Pack film, is you know immediately after I do that, I scan them at a pretty high resolution on my flatbed scanner. Uh, I have an Epson V800, and then uh, I can make pretty large prints out of those. I you know scanned at high enough, I made eight by tens out of those very easily, and they looked great. And uh, I was able to, you know, sell eight by tens of these small little Polaroid transfers. Uh, you can also, I guess, you know, sell the original if you wanted to, mount it, uh, you know, mat it, and uh, and sell those as like an original, one of a kind, only copy in the world, and place crazy value on it because of that if you wanted to. Uh, with the Polaroid transfers that I did years ago. Uh, you know, I've always wondered, like, well, how, how archival would they be? Because, you know, you're interrupting the developing process process, and then transferring it onto a piece of watercolor paper. Now, granted, the watercolor paper I, I use is acid-free, but I wondered if they would, like, fade real bad or quickly or whatever. But at least with the old Polaroid pack film that I did my original transfers on, I've had them for, I guess I probably did those maybe 10 years ago. And they've been in a like a, f a photo print like archival storage box or whatever. And I pulled those out uh, this this last year to like scan them on a on my new scanner and and so I could get higher resolution scans of them and and get big prints out of them. And they hadn't faded a bit. They are holding up quite nicely after um, probably ten years since I did those things. So that was kind of uh, you know it was heartening I guess that. Uh, they didn't fade away to obscurity in a couple years, even though that's not exactly how that Polaroid intended that film to be used. <laughs> but um, 
So hopefully the Fuji will be the same way, but it doesn't really matter. You know, I, I, I make a point like right after I do them and they, they dry up and everything, I get a good scan of them and then I can make uh, pretty pretty good size enlargements out of them and they look, they look great. And even when you like, you know, I printed those on regular, uh, I think uh, Kodak uh, inkjet paper and uh, you know, Obviously, it doesn't have the texture that the watercolor paper has, but still, it shows that texture still shows up in the scans and shows up on the prints that you make after that. So even that, even it looked textured, even though it wasn't, and uh, uh, just really, really a cool look, and definitely something I recommend you try. It's um, it's just fun, and you know, if you're looking for a new area of creativity, pretty awesome. Uh, let's see. I was listening to the Sunny 16 podcast that came out this week. Um, they actually read an email I sent to them, and uh, I was kind of making fun of them a little bit. And uh, so that was that was nice to hear. They mentioned a couple of, a new a couple of photography podcasts that I didn't know about. So I have got them uh, subscribed to them in my podcatching uh, apps. And I'm going to give those a listen to, and uh, I think I'm going to like them. And if I do, I'm going to get back with you on, on those and tell you some more podcasts to check out. Spread the love, the podcast love. Um, also, Danny Peters' email, uh, at the end of his email, he said he was talking about my street photography podcast. And, and he said, uh, uh, read the end of his email here. As for street photography, that's my favorite genre. You recently asked for podcast suggestions, and I found quite a few on that subject by searching iTunes for the names of street photographers I like. These podcasts are generally a mix between film and digital, but I'm listening to them primarily for the interviews and not all of the episodes, only the ones with interviews from photographers I'm I'm familiar with. So that's another good idea that Danny has sent me to find some more podcasts, to actually you know, do a search for uh, photographers that you like on these podcasting catching apps and uh, see what comes up that way. So I appreciated that, Danny. And I'm going to give that a shot as well because I need as many podcasts as I can listen to. Because I work in a factory and I hate it and I got to get through the night. Anyway, that's the end of this episode of the Negative Positives Podcast. You can catch my photography at Mike Gutterman Photography on Facebook, at Gutterman Photo on Instagram, and you can email me at guttermanphoto at gmail.com. Stay positive. Take some cool film photos. Thank you. <laughs>